0: Hi, my name is Pete Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to Viewpoints. Tonight, we're gonna explore the theme of transformation. And we chose December 21st, the solstice, a time in the North where we have our shortest day and our longest night, because it's a time of transition, a time of earthly transformation. Though two of our guests hail from the Southern Hemisphere and are experiencing exactly the opposite of what is going on up here in the North, They are having their longest day and shortest night. They are also visiting us from the future. It's December 22nd where they are and perhaps they have some insights into what happens to us in the day ahead. Perhaps I'll ask them when we get there. So how are you doing with everything that's going on? You know, the personal, the professional, the environmental, the political, the biological, the universal, things are a tad overwhelming. And I wonder if you think it's possible to transform ourselves from what we are today and in doing that be a part of a greater transformation. One that perhaps runs deeper, has us sharing and caring more, has us uh, a part of a restoration, an art perhaps, a creativity that has us in a state of learning, of getting to work, participating in truth and participating in reconciliation. Over the next hour or so you will meet four extraordinary people, guests who are visiting us from different parts of the world, folks who have participated in, are participating in, transformation in one way or another. They are finding their way, as are we all, in this unique time on Planet Blue. Now, while we meet on a virtual platform, it is respectful and proper, and it is important to acknowledge that these lands are the ancestral and unceded territories of all of the Inuit, Métis, and First Nations people who call this land home and have done so for thousands of years. No matter where you are, we would like to take a moment to acknowledge the importance of these lands. We do this to reaffirm our commitment and responsibility in improving relations between nations and to improving our own understanding of local indigenous peoples and their cultures. Acknowledgement is a start, but it can't end there. From the Trail of Tears to residential schools, from the disproportionate number of indigenous people in our jails, the rates of suicide, the lack of fresh drinking water in some communities, the way we teach history, There is much to learn, to discuss, and those discussions are not to be rushed. It took many generations to get to where we're at, and it will take many more to build a trust for reconciliation. So I'd like you right now to take a moment to reflect, to acknowledge the harms and the mistakes of the past, and to consider how we can each, in our own way, work to move forward in a spirit of reconciliation and collaboration, understanding that it will take time and that it begins with listening. I'm going to open the broadcast with a song, and you're going to hear a few different versions of this particular song over the course of the night. It's called Try a Little Tenderness, something that we could do with in hefty measure right around now, I think. Now, the song was written in 1922, and it's a Tin Pan Alley song. I discovered that Tin Pan Alley is a name given to a collection of New York City uh, publishers and songwriters who dominated and created a standard of popular music in the U.S. in the late 19th and early 20th century. The song started as one thing, and over the course of its history, from singers like Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra, it started to transform when Sam Cooke and Aretha Franklin got a hold of it, and for me, completed its transformation with Otis Redding and his recording in the 1960s. It changed, and it changed a lot, as you will hear, from something light and breezy and became something vital, necessary, urgent. Is it a musical suggestion of the transformation that we are going through right now? I don't know. Perhaps. I'll let you be the judge of that. This version you're about to hear in a moment is sung by the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. So lend an ear and I'll be right back. Jordan MacDonald from Prince Edward Island, a CCRC board member, among many other things, is helping us out by producing tonight's episode. I'd like to thank him as I ask him to please hit play. Enjoy.
1: Try a little tenderness I may be I may be sentimental I may Just a good word. It's so, so easy. Try a little, oh, try a little tenderness. Tender, tender, tender.
0: Thank you, Eiretha. The Queen of Soul suggests we try a little tenderness. I think it's always a good thing to go with the Queen of Soul. We're reading a book right now called The Sheltering Desert. It's an autobiographical account written by a German geologist named Hino Martin. He writes about a prolonged experience he and another geologist, Herman Korn, and their dog Otto, had back in the 1940s when they escaped into the Namib Desert in Africa. They were out there trying to avoid becoming involved in the Second World War. And like right now, the world back then was going through a phenomenal transformation, a time when it felt like everything hung in the balance, and for some, it certainly did. What happened to the two scientists out there in the wilds of the Namib desert, as they figured out how to survive in a challenging environment, was incredibly transformative. Transformative in a way that had them ascend into a much deeper understanding of being and of place and of their relationship with the other beings that live there, the zebra, the rat, the jackal and the hyena, the leopard, the ants. Their relationship and appreciation for water is explored, something that was and is so precious and so scarce on planet Earth, never to be taken for granted. And the bushes and trees that gave them fuel for the fire and the air that blew in from the sea and from every part of the continent became a part of their understanding of place. The Namib Desert is one of the oldest deserts in the world, 55 million years by some calculations, and the sands of the Namib arrived from all over the continent. The two scientists began to transform, became like Bushmen as they described themselves. The ingredients that got them there included awe and humility and appreciation and desperation and a growing and abiding respect for the environment they escaped into. It had become their home, something to be cherished, something to be heeded, something to be protected, a partner in and for life. There is a passage in the book that I'm going to share with you now that speaks to their transformation. There was a gray bank of mist over the desert to the west as we set off. And traveling light, we made rapid progress, reaching the foot of the mountain shortly before sunrise. An hour later, we were on the summit. Our first glance was to the south, for that was unknown territory. Wild precipitous walls of red granite disappeared into broken depths. And on the far side, the rear summit rose steeply. Emerging from the deep shadow of the mountain, a small bird rose, singing into the light. Let itself fall back into the shade and then rose into the light again, singing in full-throated joy. With rising spirits, I watched that tiny symbol of joyous life as it wheeled towards the blue sky. Then we looked eastwards into the glaring sun which burnt over the wide sweep of the African uplands. The first morning after the creation of the world, said Herman quietly. And I too experienced an indescribably reassuring feeling of belonging to the wild, beautiful, and cruel life of this vast country. It was as though the fresh wind from the south were dissipating all doubts and uncertainties and a feeling of peace and security came over me. I'd like to now introduce you to our first two guests. They are from Thailand, Uh, Pia Porn Thachin, or Pia, earned her PhD in rural studies from the University of Guelph in 2004 and currently works as a lecturer at Chandrakasam Rajabat University in Bangkok since 2012. She teaches classes on community-based development. Her research interests include sustainable community tourism, farmer's debt, and elderly livelihood. She will be joined by Tawon Jorno, who earned her bachelor in science degree in ecology, evolution, and behavioral biology from Beloit College in the US in 2017, and has been working as the environmental program assistant for Rax Thai Foundation, a nonprofit based in Thailand since 2018, the project she has been involved in focus on natural resource management, climate change adaptation, and community-based development. Welcome, Pia and Taiwan. How are you doing?
2: Good evening, everybody. Good evening, Peter. Yeah.
3: Good evening. Hello to everyone. It's nice to be here.
0: It's great to have you here, and it's 7 a.m. where you are, so I probably, maybe, I don't know if you have any information you can pass along to what our day is going to be like, but I'll, I'll hold that for now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many things I'd like to talk to you about, and um, but before we get into agroforestry and, and the work that you're doing, uh, Taiwan, um, I'm curious as to your thoughts on transformation, um, on, on where you think we're at with regards to changing the way that we live. Um, so, just in response to some of the things that uh, I've offered so far, but also just where you're at in Thailand and what you see when you look out, uh, how important transformation is to you. Uh, Pia, do you want to start?
2: Oh yeah. Thank you. Uh, if you ask me, what does it mean? Uh, transformation, I would say it does. Uh, it hurt and it, fighting and painful process but at the end of the process is happiness i will i will get on other people who turn from themselves can get from the uh, transformation mm. that's all i think about it <laughs>
0: oh yes no I, the the pain and the hurt yes i understand what, what about you Tawan? What, what wouldn't you think about transformation what do you think mm-hmm.
3: For me, I feel like transformation is like the next level up from change. Like I feel like change is like at this level and then transformation, is like it leads to a whole different experience. And it's something that is gradual. I think it's something that takes time. And um, as my aunt mentioned that like, it can be painful and it can hurt, but I think the final outcome of it is just really beautiful. And it takes you on like a different path.
0: And and do you think, do you think now in, in our in our world that, that that people are becoming hip to this this need to transform to go through that pain, or do you think people are reluctant to change?
2: I think uh, both. Some mm. people might get know themselves very well, but if, in terms of if they still in the same process, uh, they cannot be survival.
1: Mm.
2: Then they can change themselves or they uh, transform themselves quickly in order to get. Uh, painful mm-hmm. less painful let's say something like that mm-hmm. but some people they don't uh, they don't realize that they are get in trouble or something like that they may take uh, take time a lot in order to realize that they need to transform themselves that's mm-hmm. all i think mean.
4: yeah
2: mm-hmm. it depends on on the people what they know about themselves too. how
3: right. about you Right. So for me, with regards to transformation, I think that nowadays with like globalization and how accessible information is, I actually feel like transformation is happening faster. And I think that there are more people that are undergoing the process because we're able to learn more about different mindsets, different perspectives, different ways of doing things. And so I, for me, in my opinion, I think that there are more people who are like becoming more open to transformation compared to the number of people that are reluctant. Mm,
0: thanks, that's great. Um, I became aware of, of you, Pia, uh, first, and then I met Tawan. and uh, we'll get into that maybe in a, in a minute, and, and your name, Taiwan as well, and how you got that name, which is a beautiful story. I was introduced to Pia uh, through a research paper and I'm very glad that that happened. And the paper was given to me by a friend and a colleague and a CCRC board member, Dr. Al Lozon. And I believe he's with us here tonight. In fact, he co-wrote the paper with Pia and it explores something that happened in Thailand in the late nineties and early 2000s. It takes place primarily in a place called Ban Naasarn. And it speaks to how one man's learning and his dedication not only changed his path, but in doing so changed the course of a village's history and impacted on an entire region. Pia, I, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about Headman Winboon and what agroforestry is, and we we'll get into a, a conversation about that.
2: Yeah, uh, this is it's a long story. It's a good one. Yeah. Oh yeah, but somehow I'm gonna get in a short uh, time. Uh, actually, this uh, Headman Winboon is a uh, let's say, uh, the leader uh, of uh, transforming, uh, transformation, or transformer dem- uh, himself to be another thing, because of, uh, at the first uh, time he grow the catch crop and then they uh, cannot uh, make money of doing that. So he get to he get into debt. Mm-hmm. And then he try to uh, get away out of this uh, life is because is it a painful life for them for him. Uh, then he uh, gets stuck with themselves. So maybe that's the time that he realized that he cannot go the same path anymore. Uh, he cannot. He can. He did. He cannot uh, grow the catch up anymore. Uh, so they he. He changed the way of thinking, he changed the way of uh, seeing the world, he changed uh, uh, the way of living, the way of believing or changed everything. Uh, And then he uh, uh, tried to think of what is the best way for him and uh, his family to to be happy. Then uh, uh, in that time, so he he might think of uh, uh, growing the thing that he that he and his family want to eat, and there might be something left so they can sell to the market. Uh, this is the starting point from from him that try to transform himself from catch crop to agroforestry, and the one thing is that the agroforestry it. It's good for environment as well, because it uh, uh, it's makes uh, his farm more diversity in terms of uh, he can get food. He can get uh, 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 herb to uh, kill uh, himself or their family when they need, when we, when when they get sick or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, it's a it, it useful uh, way to... to uh, doing this in I think he think that is the way why he have to change from uh, growing catch crop, either rice or potato or uh, corn or sugar cane or whatever that he did in the past. And this is the way he, he, he changed uh, and get into a transformation process.
0: Mm-hmm. I in, in yes, and thank you for that. And I, I remember and I've read the paper a, a few times. And I first of all, I just love his name, Headman Winboon. I, I just think it's a beautiful name. But and I know Headman is like a, like a, a leader within the community uh, that he's given that title. But and there's another person that we'll talk a little bit about, Liam, um, but also Headman. It, it, where they went, they were in different parts of the country and they were in debt and the, the drinking and there was poverty and they were trying to get out of debt and they, were, they just kept getting more and more into debt and they were having so many social issues um, and they all kind of ended up congregating in a national forest uh, illegally, like the, this was a forest that was um, owned by the government. Um, what was that like when they first landed there? Like, well, how, and how many people landed? So the people came from all across the country and they ended up in this forest. What was it like when they first got there, Pia? Uh,
2: it's very tough life though because of uh, it. Just a forest, natural forest, mm. and they have uh, they have to shop chop down a lot of trees as well in order to get the uh, plantation for uh, growing Mm. rice. Uh, Normally it's growing rice and sugar cane. Uh, And it illegally, illegally too. And they try to, uh, when the police come to the forest to uh, catch them, they have to escape, like uh, ran run away, or either uh, come up the tree to hang themselves <laughs> on the tree, or something like that. It very uh, tough life for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, in order to survive, they 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 cannot uh, uh, escape from this life anymore. You know what I mean? Like uh, you have to fight in order to be survive mm-hmm. because you have no land to go uh, to. Uh, go back home you don't have anything at, uh, at your uh, uh, your ha- your hometown so this is the uh, the way to to get survive for yeah. yourself that's this the survival should be the the, the keyword for them whatever okay. they have to do to survive to uh, their family to survive they have to do it either uh, it's not the right way to do but it's a good way for them to make uh, their family survive. That's the, the thing of it.
0: And, and they discovered the agroforestry, which is growing crops around bushes and trees. That so They're not clear-cutting, and they're not growing food for somebody else. They're growing food for themselves, and they're feeding themselves. And that's the beginning of the health, um, of, of making your body healthy. And I know yes. both uh, with Liam and with Headman Winboon, they both st- stopped drinking, they stopped gambling. and um, they started to do this agroforestry, but not everybody accepted it. And then the police were coming. And so the, the pain that you talked about, the transformation that you talked about that is painful, I'm sure there were days when they thought, what are we doing? Like, I mean, we're on the run from the law, um, trying to grow food so I can eat and survive. I don't know where to go. This is my last chance. And in some yeah. ways, they 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 turned all of that um. I don't, all of those challenges, and there were plenty, like it's in the paper as well, into this philosophy. And the philosophy was about taking care of yourself and taking care of where you live. And that was a big transformative moment. Um, I wonder if, um, just talking a little bit about Liam, Uh, Liam came 20 years later and he came with much the same baggage. He came, uh, he was on the run, I get from his debt and the drinking and the like he was running in in the same dangerous cycle. And he ended up, and he went on something that you've talked about in the paper, Pia, called a learning tour. Could you just take me through that and his relationship with Headman and how that all went?
4: Yeah,
2: uh, I can say that uh, Liam is the student of Headman Reboot because he learned many things from uh, from Headman Reboot. The way that I describe the learning tour is that like, uh, they uh, they come to see uh hitman Reboon, like at uh, at the first time they, they, they see that uh hitman Reboon, how hitman Reboon uh build up the anglo or uh, how he did with the anglo forestry something like that so they take a like a tour like a to seeing uh, seeing things uh uh, uh, uh uh and learn something from the uh, hitman Reboon. Right. this is uh, the meaning of the learning tour for for me yeah but uh, uh, this tour is not just for funding though this tour is for survival mm-hmm. because uh, is it's about their life their family uh, or something like that mm-hmm. so it's it not just uh, enjoying your life to seeing a beautiful thing because the thing that hit mad we uh, uh teach or taught uh, Liam is about the uh, their life it's painful life tough life the process that a uh, hitman we will get through in order to uh, to uh, to make his life uh, get out of the debt or get out of the 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 thing that make the make him uh, getting worth or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah get it, out of the, the it, cycle yeah. yeah right
2: that that is so it's not a, uh it's not a beautiful story or the story that hitman people told Liam, it uh it it is a painful story i think
0: right it is but the and it it it's this isn't Disneyland. I mean, this was hard work. And and the, the queen of of Thailand came in and 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 once she saw what was happening, she took away the illegal part of the village and she made the village. She incorporated she had the, she helped them to incorporate, didn't she?
2: uh it, it's not the p- queen, but princess.
0: Oh, the princess. Oh, yes. Okay. Right.
2: Yeah. But uh, when she came to nearly nearly village. Uh, of uh, Liam is not the real village, no, not Ban Isan. Actually, It's okay. to Ban Isan. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: And, mm. uh, somehow Liam uh, uh, came to to see her and uh, ask something about. Uh, he tell her about the story about his village. That's why it like uh, when the powerful person come and ask something the government will do something to solve the villager problem let's say in this way Let's put in that way yes yeah,
0: yeah. so the, That's the, why the, liam,
2: yeah it make liam or another people in the village uh, get uh, confidence mm-hmm. and and many things come up in that uh, village to like a uh, the load, the good road, or electrical, or uh, or many things that's come from from uh, this process that uh, the government tried to help uh, the San getting better in terms of living.
0: Yeah, and it was, but it was the people. It was, it was, it was headman, and it was Liam, and it was the the community that. After all their struggles, they created their own bank and they created a rice bank and a fish bank. And they, I, they the, what happened there was so transformative and so impressive to me, given the struggles that they were going through and how you'd want to give up. You just want to. I don't, I don't want to. I can't live like this any longer. This is like it's killing me. It's killing everybody. I mean, at one point in the paper, you talk about Liam. Um, when he was trying to talk to others about agroforestry, they called it evil forestry. They didn't uh, they or ev- evil agriculture. They didn't even they thought thought he was mad that he wasn't he wasn't doing it right. And then fast forward a number of years, and it's been years since they've been doing this. There's been so many transformative experiences. And could you just talk a bit about his kids? Because Liam and Headmoon had like grade three education, I think, or grade four education. And they raised their families in the forest and then as time went along things were they were having enough food they were growing enough food for their community but their kids grew up and they did have an educational could you just opportunity could you just talk a bit about that pia yeah uh,
2: uh, that kid uh, liam kids uh he have two sons uh, the both of them stay with him at the Banai San, even though they got the education, like a, a bachelor degree. Once they realized that the outside the village, it doesn't good as inside village. And then he just came back to, to stay at the uh, village to uh, work or uh, doing the same way as his uh, father did. Yeah, but but now I think they are become a, a learning center for agroforestry as well. So many people from uh, another part of uh, Thailand come to learn from from their family and mm. uh, another people in the village, because it, now we can show the exactly uh, the successful story in terms of uh, growing village uh, compared to the beginning of the. Uh, he, he started because at the beginning, the villager uh, uh, say that he uh, uh, become a classy man because we grow thing that cannot get the catch uh, right away because the villager needs the catch in every day for living, right? You have to spend money in order to get food or, or many kind of stuff, but somehow and grow forestry doesn't get at the Catch right away. So we have to be patient. We have to take time in order to to get things done, right? And then, mm-hmm. uh, the people uh, at that time, people might might think of the capital too much, <laughs> and then they need money. The money is the way that they solve uh, pro- their problem. That's why they think my they think that uh, Liam is the crazy man and he called up, uh, and the eco forest at the evil,
0: mm-hmm.
2: even his family as well
0: yes uh, don't
2: under, uh, his wife don't uh, his wife didn't didn't ask, uh, understand the way that Liam think that's why he think he should uh, uh, make uh, sure that uh, their family understand first and then his friend, close friend, it's like just like a circle. You have to make your family understand what uh, do you want uh, their f- family to be in the future, and then your close friend, and then to another uh, another uh, people in the village. Just like a uh, uh, you throw the uh, the stone in the river, and then it just like a. Uh, get wider and wider or something
0: like that. Yeah, the ripples out. Yeah, that's it's beautiful. And I no I yes. do love the story. It's 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 with me now. That story is inside uh-huh. of me and I think it's it's such a great example of what can happen but I what your answer to transformation being painful it was also very painful. Like we tend to get to the end of the story and go oh, look they've got this and they've got that and look what they did. But in fact the process to get there to transform to change was yeah. made, was difficult and and also you'd think I'm just going to chuck it like I'm not I'm not going to keep doing this I can't it's too hard.
1: Yeah. But they,
0: they stayed with it and I think um, we're going to talk well I know we're going to talk to Don coming up and while the story is very different there are and when I told her this story. Um, she said "Yeah, there's certain things that ring or echo for her what she's doing um, on where, what she's doing in um, you know, First Nations grower and in restorative justice change is difficult change is hard and transformation as you talked about Taiwan is step up from change it's a big deal and then once you get through that like those two scientists out in the Namib it took them time to come to a much deeper understanding of where they were the environment they were living in and that somebody said to me the other day um it, it's a partnership with the land. It's a partnership with water. It's a partnership with air, with the other beings. It's not something where you just get to take and take and take and take and take. You have to respect and what Headman did and what Liam did and, and what you and Al were able to achieve in that paper, I think is uh, is remarkable and an important story to tell. I really do. I, 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 I feel that we, if we do not transform, we're missing the, the opportunity here to transform and that's why we're doing this uh yak tonight i just i want these stories to be told and the stories of yes they're successful but also to understand that they're also very very difficult and they require support and they require energy and the neighbors helping and all of that so pia it's uh, it's so beautiful and I, I i thank you and i i'm just going to um uh taiwan i want i want you to talk a little bit if that's okay pia um Thank you so much. Um, could you talk a little bit about Rax Thai Foundation? Um, and I, I did a little bit of research, building a strong community with a good quality of life in your mission and vision, which is awesome. Did you have anything to do with agroforestry? Like, is that part of, of what you're doing or is that completely different? Could you just talk a little bit about the work you're doing?
3: Okay. So um, to start off with, I just wanted to say that um, Rax Thai Foundation is actually a local successor to a bigger organization called Care International. Mm -hmm. And so Thai Foundation is kind of like a successor of that for Thailand. And so our, like you mentioned, like our main working points is on like community empowerment and like working with communities and like supporting them in that sense. And so since I work in the environment program because Thai has different programs, but I'm only in the environment program. our work is on like community-based resource management. And so agroforestry is um, part of what some of the communities that we work with do, but um, it's not like the full picture. But I think that some of the communities that we work with do do agroforestry because some of the communities we work with are the um, indigenous communities in the Northern region of Thailand that live in like the mountainous areas.
0: And and how long have you been going? How long has it been been happening?
3: Uh, how long has what been the
0: uh, the racks, the?
3: Um, oh, Tide. So we've been around since 1997. So um, I am very new to Tie. I've only been here for about three years. But the people that I work with in the program, like our field team, they have been around for 20 years. So they are. <laughs> I learned so much from them. It's it's awesome.
0: And have you witnessed transformations? Have you seen what what happened with um, your aunt's work? Uh, and have you seen that 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 slowly coming about? And maybe tell maybe relate a story about that.
3: Mm-hmm. So since I'm in uh, I'm based in Bangkok, um, I don't get to go into the communities as often. But when I do, I definitely get the chance to talk with them, and I do like witness them talking about transformation mm-hmm. and how like because. The process of us working with the communities, like I said, it takes a lot of time. Like there are some communities that we have been working with them for about like 10 years in order to um, help them with their community planning and everything. And they do mention that um, they have learned so much and they feel that they themselves have also gone through a lot of transformation. And so that's always really great to hear. And it's great to learn from them too, because I think the important thing about our approach and how it's community-based is that we see ourselves as facilitators because mm-hmm. in terms of natural resource management, the indigenous communities, they already have a really good grasp of natural resource management. And so we're more here to help like facilitate the process of community planning and how to get those plans integrated at the local government level um, to try and obtain more funding and support uh, from the local government to help them achieve the community plans, where they prioritize what they want to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm, nice. Um, before I, I'm, I'm going to move on to Bruce soon. Um, before I let you go, uh, your name. Could you, could you, could you tell us how, how, how you got, what your name means uh, in English, and also then how you ended up with that name?
3: Of course, sure. So uh, my name in Thai is pronounced Pao Wan. And it means vines. So the vines that grow on trees. And how I got this name is because the night before my mother gave birth to me, she had a dream that she was in a forest and it was filled with vines and there were vines everywhere and like the vines were like circling around her. And so that's how she. Uh, decided to name me. That's how I got my name.
0: <laughs> well, it's lovely. Another transformation right there, from from the dream into reality, which is uh, kind of what some of these things are. Anyway, um, thank you both so much, and please uh, stick around. And uh, at the end, uh, I'm going to like to bring everybody together. I'm sure Dawn has some questions, and you could talk to her once you hear her story and Bruce as well. Um, but uh, thank you so much. It uh, means it means great deal to all of us at the CCRC that you came and and told these stories. Thank you very much.
3: Yes, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Um, uh, Our next guest is a wonderful artist um, who has been transforming, well, since uh, he was born. Um, and in, as a way of introducing Bruce Horick, the actor, musician, visual artist, and all-around fascinating inquirer, I'd like to show you a video that was made about Bruce for a project at the Art Gallery of Ontario called Tangled Art Talks. So, Jordan, if you don't mind, could you uh, bring up uh, Bruce's video? And if you do have any questions, folks, you can pop them into the, uh, into the chat so you can get any questions that you have as we go along. So we still have the Queen of Soul here and she's coming and going while well, she is the Queen. So, oh, here we go. All right. So uh, enjoy. I'll see you in uh, in a few minutes and we'll talk to Bruce. Could you turn that up a bit, uh, Jordan, please? uh,
5: Relatively shaggy hair because, you know, it's COVID also to let you know that this uh, video you're about to see is actually an interview that I gave a a couple of weeks ago. I think when I had a a bit more of a beard and uh, I've augmented this interview with some slides and some images from my life. Um, So primarily, whatever I'm talking about, there'll be an image on the screen of that and. there's also, I think I, I threw in one funny picture of me attempting to ski uh, just because I'm not a very good skier. Um, now, this video is it, it's intended as an introduction to me and my life and my work. And of course, every introduction needs an introduction. And I thought, who better to give an introduction to this introduction than longtime friends and collaborators, Rebecca Northam and Carmen
4: Grant.
3: Who is Bruce Horak? Uh, Bruce Horak is an incredible Canadian artist. He is uh, a brat.
4: Not only a a theatre artist,
0: like an actor, he's also a writer.
4: He's a musician, he's a composer.
3: I think Bruce really is interested in finding out who he is and who he can be and and realizing his potential.
4: Oh, and then he's also a visual artist. Um, And he's legally blind, so
3: there's that.
5: When I was just over a year old, I was diagnosed with bilateral retinoblastoma, which is cancer of the eyes. And it was so bad in my right eye that the whole eye had to be removed right away. In my left eye, there were three little tumors that got blasted with radiation and scar tissue developed over most of the retina. But there's a little window through which I can see. And uh, eventually a cataract developed, so I had to have cataract surgery when I was about four and a half. So all told, I suppose I see about 9%. I'm the youngest of four boys and I grew up in a very artistic house. You know, a career in the arts just almost seemed predetermined. After I graduated from high school, I studied theater and I just got bit by the the acting bugs. So I have uh, acted in shows across the country um, and I spent a big chunk of my time writing and producing and acting in my own work. In This Is Cancer, I play the living embodiment of the disease, which took my father and took 91% of my eyesight cancer is egotistical and arrogant but he just loves people he falls in love with humanity and that's why they get sick and the intention of it is to have people walk out of the theater and embrace the life that they have embrace the life that they have left and to go forth with joy and if that means you have to have a little bit of gratitude for the thing that brought you down in order to come out the other side then what a wonderful shifting of perspective. People would ask me how I see, how I'm, how I'm able to do what I do with 9% vision. And so I started painting portraits to try to capture my the way I see the world. That includes auras and halos and, and floaters and a lot of distortions and things. I developed this practice over about a year or so where I paint the portrait a day for A full year and just really enjoyed the connection that would happen between myself and my my subject and that since evolved into um, larger pieces, landscapes and uh, some abstract work as well. My theatre practice, my performance practice, my music practice and my painting practice all influence each other. When I'm feeling myself stuck, I will make an offer, just like a slash of a of a paintbrush, and suddenly within that I see, oh, that's, you know, that's the mountainscape or whatever, and then, and more ideas will come through that because I'm improvising on the canvas. The appreciation for uh, texture and nuance that painting gives me translates into creating improvisational pieces or music. Um, Yeah, they're all really like spokes on the same wheel. I was doing an artist residency on Toronto Island in 2017 and uh, the principles of improvisation came in really handily as I was creating this piece called Through a Tired Eye. Originally what it was was a sort of a view of looking up through some trees and I had my very last night on the island. I was very sad about having to leave the artist residency there. And so I started to uh, try something new and I improvised on the canvas. I started throwing paint around to see if I could follow with a paintbrush one of my floaters going through around the the visual field. Uh, I splashed on black and gray and iridescent paint, kind of sucked all the color out of it. It was, uh, yeah, it was completely liberating. It felt like a dance piece on canvas. I have a huge appreciation for color and light and movement and so attempting to capture those things kind of my primary objective and how beautiful landscapes are and how wonderful people's auras are and expressions and that's what I'm going for first and I'm doing it through uh, a fractured lens a tired eye um, 9% vision and I'm always happy to talk about the kind of the limitations that it provides but it also opens up uh, opportunity to add some abstractions that I'm clearly seeing but perhaps aren't available to the fully sighted. My vision changes every day depending on how tired I am depending on the light so some of the pieces are uh, examples of that and this was after a trip to the eye doctor where they put the drop in my eye to expand my pupil so they could see the retina and the damage back there. It's not a pleasant experience at all but this red uh hue is a almost literal representation i want the experience of the portrait sitting to be one of connection to be one of um acknowledgement the thing that that just absolutely fills my heart is how many people have ended the sessions the the sittings and said thank you for sitting with me i feel seen My continuing to improvise, do music, compose, all of that um, is a desire to have people go forth with a bit more joy in the world. Well as is often the case with with the arts, um, one thing leads to another, one thing inspires another thing, and uh, as my painting practice began to develop I got inspired to to create a brand new piece of theatre called Assassinating Thompson. Assassinating Thompson, again, is my story, but it's it's me telling it pretty much first, like direct address, I'm, and I'm painting the audience. I admit flat out off the top, I'm a visually impaired artist, I tell you my story and I'm gonna paint your portrait now. And there, there's an audience full of people who think, wow, what's this gonna be? And so there's this great mystery that happens over the course of the 60 minutes that I paint of what is, it, what is how does the blind man see us? And uh, so there's, there's that layer of, sharing my own story, and then the flipping of perspectives comes with looking at Canadian art history and looking at art history and the creation of art from a different point of view. My advice to anyone who wants to practice, to be an artist, to be a creative, is get to work. (laughs) To quote Kevin McKendrick, get to work, get at it. You got to do it. You gotta pick up the brush or the pencil or the pen or the stylus or whatever it is and get to work because It pays off You don't know when you don't know how but that's not your job not right now Your job is to paint Somebody else will call it art Since I started this portrait project, I have sat with and I have connected with and I've learned incredible lessons from over 600 different people. It was very early on, it was probably around portrait number 25 or so, I got to sit with a guy named Jim Gordonier, James Gordonier, who uh, had been painting for 60 years or something. And uh, we just had a, a really marvelous session and he imparted some really great wisdom. He said, You know, If you ever get stuck painting, keep painting. (laughs) Uh, Michael Green, who was a theatre impresario in Calgary, was a member of the the One Yellow Rabbit ensemble. Um, Just an amazing guy, and I remember one time he said, "Um, why would you try to create something new with an old process? He says, if you keep repeating the same process, you're going to come out with the same product. You know, we don't, we're not machines, we don't work in a factory, so you have to allow for inspiration, you have to change things up. And uh, I found that really liberating. The process is never the same, there's always a a new thought or a new idea or a new way to approach this stuff. And I think it might be infinite. I'll let you know if I get to the end. Mike Kennard and John Turner, the Canadian clown duo Mump and Smoot, Uh, from them I learned to go into dark places with a flashlight, to sit in it, to continue to dig into those things, to find joy in those places, um, to practice the philosophy of more, more, more. So the practices continue to evolve and you know, since everything's been locked down, I've moved my portrait sittings onto Zoom, which is really great, because now I get to sit with people all over the world. Recently, I sat with the artist Valentin Brown, who gave me this really great nugget. Uh, he said that he had an art teacher who used to come into class at the first thing in the morning and say, all right, you guys, I just need you to make me a bad painting today, which I love. I mean, there's just absolute freedom in that direction. You know, going back to improvisation, when I was in Calgary, uh, training at Loose with Keith Johnstone and Dennis Cahill, they would often talk about failing and enjoying failing and getting really good at failing, um, embracing it, and I think that, what the, the, was the phrase, fail forward, which I really appreciate because you don't learn anything unless you fail, so do that every day. So there you have it. There's a little introduction to me and my work, and hopefully you've uh, you've gained some insight today. And uh, I'd like to leave you with a little outro from my friend and colleague and fellow artist Cam McDuffie.
1: I'm so continually inspired
5: by Bruce Horack because to me he's the
1: epitome of a fearless creator. Whether it's improvisation playwriting or
5: acting or painting or just showing up in the world I think he combines this incredible fearlessness with also an intense passion to me it doesn't seem to come from a dogma or a discipline it comes
0: from a love it's unique in my experience and it inspires me continuously That was fantastic. Thank you so much, Bruce, for, uh, for sharing that uh, with us and uh, learning about some of what you have going and are, are about. Um, so many things jumped out at me through that. I'm sure it did for uh, the folks that are listening into the The word joy um, and the phrase, I feel seen. I think a couple of beautiful thoughts there. McKendrick's get to work. And if you get stuck painting, keep painting. I man, oh man, oh my old man used to say, "Put one foot in front of the other. Just keep, keep going." Yeah. Um, and it leads beautifully to uh, you just need to make me a bad painting today. Um, and Mump and Smoot saying, you know, going into the dark with a yeah. flashlight. Um, and here we are on the our shortest day of the year, where there's plenty of dark out there for folks to walk into. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it, 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 you're, you're an amazing artist, and, and you also have a, a humility about you. Um, and the, love, the word love was mentioned. And I think that if, it, if a transformation is going to be successful, um, I think love is going to be a part of that transformation. Somewhere in there, there's going to be a support um, for not only the work that you do, but the work that Headman Winboon did. That somewhere in there, there was some love through that difficulty and challenging time. Yeah. But I just want to just ask you, as I've asked Pia uh, and one, uh, and I'm also going to ask Don um, in a minute. What are your thoughts on transformation and and where we're at right now as a as as a world and and just just any just go go on a on a, on a free form if if you don't mind on on what transformation is to you and are are we able to do it as a society
5: oh yeah it's uh, this, it's a great it's a great word it's a great prompt I think for uh, a little uh, a little uh, verbal jazz shall we call it um, <laughs> I' just jam on it for a while Pete thanks for having me by the way this is uh, this is a real honor and I've been really enjoying uh, listening to the story so far um, transformation yeah it's it's a it's every day you know um, I remember uh, I had a a clown teacher who said uh you know it's just another life-changing experience they happen every day <laughs> and uh they really do and and, and i've certainly in my life i've been i've been experiencing just every day the opportunity i think transformation there's, there's these opportunities to transform and whether or not we decide to accept those calls um it's is really up to us and it's it's a great i mean it's it's part of our power i think as As human beings is that we can choose whether we're going to take an experience and allow it to transform us or is it going to just uh invigorate or reinstall our old patterns and our old habits um eventually you know things may get so extreme that we'll have no choice but to transform whether that's a completely life-altering or life-ending experience but that that in itself is another transformation uh our willingness to transform i think marks us Mm. and um I I certainly have encountered that quite a bit within my own artistic practice. It's forefront in my life has been the arts, and, and a chosen life in the arts. And um, every day that I, I sit down to create something, the the creation is is tending to ask me whether or not I'm going to try to apply an old standard to this. Am I going to am I going to try to you know re uh, restate something that I've already sat with or am I am I going to allow through the change and the the process of the art for a new perhaps deeper perhaps um, alternative version of my own truth and uh, I find that to be incredibly inspiring whether or not we can do it as a society uh, I don't know that we necessarily have much of a choice at this point I mean Mm -hmm. things are just the, the upheaval is so enormous and certainly uh, the tendency, the desire to want to hold on to the old way, to want mm. to hold on to the old ideas. Please, just could we go back to the way it was? Not that the way it was was that great before, but at mm. least it was known. The unknown is terrifying, and that's ultimately what transformation uh, asks of us: is just to step into that unknown. Is you don't know what that what is going to be at the end, whether you're going to be a monarch, uh, butterfly, or are you just going to be a, a dusty old moth and chew on some, <laughs> some coats in the closet or whatever? I mean, both are beautiful. Sure.
1: <laughs>
5: Not to disparage the dusty old
0: moth. Yes. The dusty old moth. Every yes.
5: caterpillar I'm sure dreams of being a beautiful monarch. Um,
0: <laughs> it's a long they have a long flight though. They have a long way to go. I know well, they should sure go Mexico. They
5: sure uh, do. You got to give him a break. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. And and the dusty old moth. Yes. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Michael Green and he left us far too early and uh, what a remarkable artist he was and an influence on so many of us and and many and still uh, an influence. And certainly the work that he was doing uh, at the end of his life was just astounding and and incomplete. But in a way, he just he went out like in a in a burst uh, really? and and went uh, and so suddenly. But you you talked about a conversation you had with him with process with regards to process, and he said, "Look, we're we're not a factory, you know. So you have to reinvent and reinvent the process." And something that Pio was talking about with Headman Winboon there. They had a process. Their process was in a, they were in a dangerous personal cycle of, 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 of gambling and of, of alcohol and, and, and debt and in order to get out of it. They had to change everything. They, they were hiding in trees for God's sakes. Like they were running from the law, but there's something inside your process. Cause you had that one painting that you did and there's actually a whole, lot. Of, like, I wish we had more time and we'll have to talk some more because I just, there's a story that you told esther and i think she might even be here tonight but um esther and i about um painting on a wall um a mural that you were commissioned to paint and there was a the relationship with the folks that live there and you and that painting there was something I, i it's kind of coming to me in little bits but you were sensitive to them but you also had a vision for what that mural was going to be and there was i don't know if if you can kind of connect the dots on process Michael Green in that story and I may maybe maybe sandbagging you here by bringing up a story that you can't remember or that you don't not remember. at
5: all no that's uh and, and there's a, a quick image of it in the in the video it's the yes. mural of the Emily Murphy Center which is a a center here in Stratford Ontario which is where I am and it is the a center for uh women and children and families that are that are fleeing domestic violence and so it's it's a very secure facility, and it's basically like the first stop. So you get out of there, and you go and you stay, and they've got the facility. So it and the the facility managed to get some funding because they had a really drab looking um, community uh, room that you know was where the, the this kitchen was there and the laundry services were there and everything, but it was just this beige, horrible looking building and uh, a room and they asked if we, they could maybe brighten it up. And so they put a call out and I, I applied to to do some mural work because I was very interested in this. Uh, just, you know, everything was being locked down. This was something to do um, and hopefully make things a little more beautiful in the world and a little bit more welcoming. And so I started to to visit the Emily Murphy Center and I, I interviewed um, the woman who runs it and talked to her a little bit about her experience and the people who use the facilities. and what they might be looking for. Initially, I thought uh, that I would have the opportunity to maybe sit with the various residents and do portraiture. Um, And then I quickly threw that out because, um, you know, it's like safety and security and, you know, anonymity and things like that. So this is kind of barking up the wrong tree. But um, I went for a walk around the area where the facility is, is housed and it was autumn in Stratford and the colors were changing and it was just such a beautiful time of year. And I mean, speaking of transformation, I mean, autumn with all those gorgeous colors in Ontario and you, and, and it, it never lasts long enough. And and you always, that, that bite of cold in the air of like, okay, well we're in for it now, I better enjoy this moment. Of this <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I started to kind of sketch out and just allow it to develop over the time. And I would end up in the morning and I would often just walk from my apartment down through the, the, the Park area through the trees and get inspired by the colors and and then I would get there and just throw a few more layers of that beautiful color on and it was interesting as the as I started it you know people were, were coming through to use the laundry you know and everyone was masked and all this and and there would be very very quick kind of like hello hi how are you we've got a very very uh, static uh, interactions and by the time that I'd left there there was much more kind of openness and connection and people would stop and look at it and appreciate it and, and say oh you know you missed a spot or whatever <laughs> uh, but it was it was just a completely uh, moving experience and then to realize that you know I had been I'd been going there thinking that uh, you know I was going to brighten up the place and I was going to you know, coming with my my, my magic paint kit, and it was going to be, you know, I I would just add this really beautiful thing and kind of walk away and, you know, wipe my hands of it. But it has stuck with me to this very day, Um, just the the process of... you know allowing the day to seep in allowing the environment allowing where mm. I was walking and mm. what was surrounding there and the people who were going to be the audience for this portrait of a, a mural all of that to influence the painting and not going in with preconceived notion of okay it's going to be like this it's like no just let it let it emerge from the from the space that was that there where it was invited to to be
0: mm. Mm, that's so beautiful and i I think we do have to be open we, that you talk about, you know, not wanting to change or, or wanting to go back or that, mm. that I know what I know and I don't know what I don't know. And I'm afraid of what I don't know, but it's, it's getting like those two scientists that went into the Namib, they had to get beyond their geology and they had to start to come to an understanding of spiders and lizards right. and zebra. And like it, they had to start to realize that actually the world didn't operate on on their time zone on their schedule that they were the guests yes. and, and, and that story, I, I love that story and thanks so much for sharing it. I, I it came up and I, I, when I saw it, I thought that, that, that is that painting. So, and then tying Michael into it as well. Um, Bruce, you're a, you're an awesome human being. It's uh, it, no, you really are. It's, you you're you're and I know you probably hate hearing this I know it's be, you're an inspiration but you are you you inspire I know yes there you are um but no the work you do is just just absolutely stunning so um the, you, you've lit you've lit a bunch of uh boy well, you've, you've taken the flashlight into the dark uh, I think certainly for me and I hope for some of the folks that are listening in and if you're able to stick around uh please do um uh, but if you have to go I, I completely understand so um, I'm just going to move on to, to Don now, but, uh um, merci beaucoup and, uh, just, just awesome. So, uh, we will, we will connect. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, so before I introduce Dawn to you and Dawn has an equally great and fine story and so many things that she's doing, I received a letter uh, yesterday and I'm just going to read it out. It's not a long one. Uh, dear Pete, sometimes we just need to stop, feel and let it all unravel just like nature does at this time of the year. When the land becomes dormant, the trees naked, the birds silent, deep underneath the soil decays, matures and gets ready for the inevitable new growth. With the winter solstice, meaning stillness of the sun, the earth's northern hemisphere reminds us of intimacy and darkness, silence and stillness in times when we don't know the way forward. Darkness is the landscape of the deeper senses that do not find expression in struggle and achievement in small talk or social media posts, but in inner maturation and fruition. As spiritual seekers, we can get seduced by light, illumination, expansion, and perhaps miss on letting life shake up, undo, decompose our linear thinking and accumulated knowledge, force us to be still and to listen. Healing trauma means becoming familiar with the darker side of our experience, learning to notice and allow the discomfort of anger, sadness, confusion, Yes, these two are messengers from the depth of our heart. Before we celebrate the return of longer daylight, let's also remember to honor the darkness for the stillness, maturation, and inner strength it brings to our lives. Warm holiday wishes to everyone. May we all walk in kindness and gentleness with ourselves and one another. Be well, be still, and bask in the mystery of life with love. Now, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, the letter goes on, we hope you bask in the celebration of the sun. Louis Riel said this, my people will sleep for 100 years, but when they awake it will be the artists who give them their spirit back. And that is a little over 100 years ago now. I am really pleased to introduce you to First Nation Growers founder and chief executive officer, Don uh, Tababandang. Sorry, Don. Don comes from uh, exceptional Anishinaabek bloodlines with very strong and dedicated indigenous lineage. She is a successful and battle-tested First Nation community member who has always taken pride in assisting her fellow band members and the Anishinaabek people. Her family members have always had a strong calling to help others. Dawn's mother Joyce is a First Nation elder and former community and regional chief who is well respected throughout her community and country as a former First Nation leader. Dawn's older brother Warren currently sits as chief of um, uh, Wase- uh, Wasek thing, um and uh, First Nation and all family members follow in the footsteps of Dawn's grandmother, Chief Flora, who was awarded the prestigious Royal Order of Canada in 1988 for her continuous contributions to the betterment of her peoples. Dawn currently works in her community as the restorative justice coordinator and provides new education programming for all on cultural sensitivity training. And she is also one of the Indigenous Advisory Committee members to the Canadian Agriculture Agriculture Human Resource Council. She brings an innovation Uh, a vision to her work with First Nations Growers. It is a 100% Indigenous-owned, state-of-the-art company that offers a technically advanced and affordable custom-designed indoor growing system for fresh produce, cold and hot climate growing, serving the needs of First Nation and Inuit communities across Canada. First Nation Growers is dedicated to serve the comprehensive needs of Indigenous people, including our most remote First Nation and Inuit communities throughout all of Canada, addressing community nutrition concerns by providing year-round fresh produce, growing opportunities where quality and cost are essential. Don, welcome. It's uh, it's great to have you here, uh, and thanks for being a part of this. Uh, I look forward to talking to you a little bit about First Nation Growers and what you're doing there, and your certainly your work in restorative justice. But as I've asked everyone their thoughts on transformation, I'm going to ask you, um, and I know you have been through a lot of transformation in your life, so maybe, maybe you might want to touch down on that, but where are you at with regards to transformation, not only as individuals but in our society, and and how are we doing with that? Maybe.
4: Well, I just want to first of all say thank you for inviting me. Um, it's a it's a pleasure of joining everybody. Transformation—that's a big word.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, for individually, myself, my transformation as um, relearning my ancestors' ways. Um, I was raised not knowing them, not taught them. So my own personal growth and transformation is um, seeking that knowledge that's out there and and applying it and sharing it. Um, As for globally, Mother Earth is transformation right now with being angry um, for what we've done to her for many, many years. and we really got to look at that um for all for all of us on this on this earth Hmm. um so transformation for mother earth is a serious serious thing i think that we all have to look at um because we if we don't one of our prophecies is going to come true for us um where i think we're there um when you look at that seventh fire prophecy and lighting of the eighth fire. Um, So, and it's funny listening to the other speakers, just it brought me back to those seven teachings of ours and um, our own creation story and what we're, when we sit with creator and what we're born with as our own free will, which is we have a choice. Um, There's just so, and then, understanding us and we all born here with gifts um and once we realize what those gifts are is doing it in those seven teachings of kindness and love and um gee i'm going blank on seven of them <laughs> but um but for transformation that's where i am at right now
0: yeah myself. Could, actually, I, I, it's a question I have, and and, and, and I, I did do a little bit of reading on it. But you mentioned the prophecies, and and you want can you just take us through what the seven, and then we're at we're at the crossroads, and there's can you tell us about the eighth prophecy and what what that actually because that's incredibly transformative. That whole story is.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, well, like I believe we're at that crossroad, um, and uh, and what I've read and I've heard, and again I'm just again learning this myself now too is. Um, Lighting of that 8 feather, all of us coming together um, with regards to, I think, with Mother Earth and what we have to do in our ways. It's in, in that it's learning our ways. Um, and one of the biggest thing is Mother Earth. That's our mother. Um, all of our mothers. Um, and looking after and re- going back to respecting her and acknowledging her. Um, one of the biggest thing is our policies. No matter what policy is out there number one should be mother earth what are we Mm going to do to protect mother earth um as an individual as a government as a corporation um how are we going to protect her because if we don't start looking in that way um as you say star trek we're going to be living up there
0: (laughs) (laughs) they don't know okay just so everybody knows the star trek illusion uh, Don is a big Trekkie, just so you know. So um, that's that's where that came from. Um, yes, the the, the mothership, it, it's coming to take us all away. Um, that kind of segues into First Nation growers. And and I, I think it's an important story because you actually are doing, you're, you're doing, as Bruce said, as uh, do the work. Like you're doing the work of it now. And more people need to do the work. Can you talk a little bit about First Nation growers, how it came into being and what it is? And then, and then I think sweep that into restorative justice because I think they're completely connected. One is a nourishing of the, of the body and the other is a nourishing of the soul. So maybe I'll just let you go on a, on a jag on that.
4: All right. Um, First Nation Growers was um, just um, sitting down at our kitchen table with my mom and she was sharing her stories of her travels of um, flying communities, um, living in one um, Cat Lake First Nation and then traveling to Attawapis lots of times for work as an elder and, sh- and this was um, and Cat Lake was going 20-30 years ago when she was there and she talked about how things were so expensive um, the community they had no hydro they had one phone um, so and it was just how, how hard it was for the, our brothers and sisters to just eat healthy Like we have, like for us down here, it's, it's so easy to eat healthy. um, But those communities up North, um, it's, it's a challenge for them. And at a cost that they can afford is the biggest challenge is why they can't eat healthy or have those healthy foods. Um, So those stories just led to talking about, you know, what can we do? And, you know, again, as you mentioned, my grandmother, big food to fill. So that was always like, what can I do as always in the back of my head, um, but we start just looking at ideas of growing vegetables indoor, and been, because I'm a trucky fan, um, <laughs> it's just we're poisoning Mother Earth. You know, we haven't stopped, and everything's getting sick. And you know, are, we're not even if we say we're eating healthy. Are we truly eating healthy? Um, so it just it went to trying to provide fresh vegetables and fruit for a cost that um, all people can afford. And so we start just looking at different um, technology with indoor growing. Um, And again, with regards to my always focused Mother Earth, what can we do to protect her? Um, Trying to stay off the grid um, and implementing all those things into a building um, with regards to being able to build anywhere. And yeah. different types of energy in those remote communities. Um, so it was just lots of talk. And then we talked about it. We put a business plan together that sat on the shelf for a while. Um, and then when COVID came, of yeah. course, we took the dust off of that business plan. Because for my own community, we're on an island. Mm. And, then I, and I just wish, you know, if we would have continued working that plan, maybe that facility would have been built and it would have eliminated us less going to town and bringing back that um, sickness into our community. Mm. Um, So we just, again, we just kind of refreshed that business plan and started, I just started looking and uh, engaging with funders. We're at that point right now and just waiting here. Um, So it's a long 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 vision the long part of it is so if when we get this built um and um another community further up north is in a position that they want to do the same thing and replicate it Mm -hmm. they would come to my facility and train while theirs were being built so it was an easy transition Mm -hmm. of uh, providing vegetables with for their own communities and being able to run the facility uh, on their own. Um, And then just uh, again with sharing um, employment, um, further up north, not too many kids get to come down this way or even experience it. Um, Maybe the first time is when they're going away to schools whenever they leave their community. So with job sharing where community members can come to this facility, our members can go up there and um, have that exchange, that um, social exchange. Um, Just, yeah, so much, so much to it. But um, I always say Rome wasn't built in a day. (laughs) Um, And that's, so it's just each day we strive to, uh, to get that on the ground and one day have a ribbon uh, ceremony. Um, So in the meantime, I have to work we have to provide for the family Um, and um, I applied for a position with my community under restorative justice and that's what I do currently um, with that Um, if not too many people are familiar with restorative justice that goes back to our court system the western court system why our peoples are in there and so many of us in the jails um the percentages are just unbelievable with regards to Mm -hmm. that so um that was it's um looked at in court now are supposed to be looked at with the courts um with our people who are in that um system um and again, that was because of decolonization. We're trying to do that now, but with colonization, they took away our culture. They, they, it's just, it's worldwide known now. We're still finding babies. Um, yeah. We have lots of more schools to search to um, in Canada. Um, numbers are up to 7,000 now. Um, so with saying all that and all that intergenerational trauma that came from that and why our people ended up in that system of the court system um it's a diversion program to come into our restorative justice Mm. program with regards to the way how we dealt with um stuff and and again our program is about taking responsibility um with whatever incident it was and restoring balance within the community and the harm and the harmer Mm. which comes to again i've with everyone speaking with regards to that is whether they're ready or not to come into my program, they accept responsibility, but we help them with their transformation with regards to their healing journey and dealing with those hard times and those black, dark places that we've all experienced. Um, It it, it reminds me throughout everyone's saying is that Sweetgrass teaching of ours. um, If anyone knows Sweetgrass is Mother Earth's heir um it has a beautiful scent it's a men's medicine um and it has two sides to it there's a shiny side and a dull side to that sweet grass and it's about acknowledging that dark side we all have dark sides it's acknowledging it and um what are we going to do to transform our sides to walk that shiny side the mods win that good life um all for the betterment of all of us and mother Earth.
0: Don, it's uh I don't know. I mean, here I, I think I'm just gonna weep. I, I there's so much uh, that you're doing that's positive, that is filled with joy, but there it comes as Pia talked about the pain of transformation um, and in going back to come forward and the eighth prophecy and all of that. I, I just I'm I, I don't know, I'm so I'm so glad that you came and spoke to us uh, tonight um, because, that story can't be told enough and and also the support um that uh anyone can offer i think has got to be there i think this is all of us together i think we've been pretty poor at that i i have been um and i think that there's an opportunity here listening to pia and Tawan and bruce and you there is a current that runs through and i would say love is really a large part of it balance you talked about about being open, about going into the darkness, about the difficulty of transformation, all of those things that you've all talked about tonight, i really landed for me. And I I think at this time of year when, you know, when we COVID, we haven't mentioned that, but um, this is a time when families come together often and and share and gifts and things, but it's also painful. It's a very sad time of the year. And it's a sad time in the history of the world. As you said, Mother Nature is in... um, Well, she's in, well, we're in shock for her and she's sick and we, and there's so much to be done, but what you're doing and what many are doing uh, like Bruce and like Pia, like Tawan is, it it is inspiring and it's important that we share these stories as well. Um, So I just, I want to thank you. What a pleasure through my cousin, Tommy, there's, there's all sorts of relations here. Um, And we didn't even get into that, uh, into what you're doing with with Tommy and, and the farm and, um, uh, with marijuana and all of that, which is so important for health and, and, and well-being. I just, anyway, um, thank you, Don. Uh, I, I look forward to talking to you again. So if you just um, you just hang in there. So I'm going to ask Bruce, if you're still here, you are, and, and Pia and um, if you want to just click on your cameras. I don't know uh, if we just open it up just for a few minutes. Uh, we're, we're getting on to an hour and a half here. Um, if anyone has a question that they'd like to ask, Um, you can just pop it into the chat or you can, I think, come off mute and you can just show us your face and and ask the question. And um, we have time for a couple if if anyone has a question that they'd like to share. The silence of December 21st. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, it's no problem. If, if, if you don't, uh, that's no that's no worries. Um, uh, I would like to at this point then uh, thank uh, this uh, wonderful, uh, diverse group of wonderful thinkers, doers, and, uh, and, and people. I just, I can't thank you enough. Honestly, I, I'll be thinking about the things that were said here tonight for a long time uh, to go. For sure, I will. I also want to thank uh, Jordan uh, McDonald, um, who uh, helped us out with producing. Great job uh, tonight. Uh, Jordan, I also want to thank Bill Dow and Al on, who uh, actually helped put this thing together through their thought and their conversation. And they're sharing and caring, which is something I forgot to bring up, which applies to you, Don, applies to you, Bruce. And Pia, at its heart, agroforestry is sharing and caring. That's, what, that's a phrase they use, and it's in that paper. And I, I bring it up at the very end. Um, in the new year, there'll be more viewpoints, so there'll be radical broadcasts, I see Cassandra's on here, they're excellent. Um, our Rural Creative Launchpad, a collaboration with Artscape and the CCRC Social Innovation Hub commences January 17th, it involves people from across Canada, that's happening. We also have a book club that's coming up, uh, a really important book by George Manuel and Michael Poslin's called The Fourth World and in Indian Reality, and it'll be led by a First Nations man. Byron Flecky, who helped us out with uh, the podcast on Indigenous points of view on climate. Um, So you can sign up for that. All the podcasts are are available for re-listens. just have to go to our website, ruralcreativity.org. We will also be holding our biannual Rural Talks to Rural Conference um, in November of next year. And it'd be great to get um, folks down for that. Um, As promised, there is a a final version of Try a Little Tenderness. And I I skipped over the Bing Crosby just because of for time. (laughs) but uh, I don't mind uh, because it sounds like a Christmas tune and it just isn't. So we're going to end this particular um, episode of viewpoints listening to Otis Redding. Uh, Oh, hold on There's, there's something happening in chat here. What do we got here? All four stories are incredibly beautiful. So beautiful to hear on winter solstice. Thank you. Tau and Pia, Don and Bruce. That's from Cassandra. This is from Sandy. Want to express my deep appreciation for anyone's everyone's contribution to the world and for our enhanced understanding tonight. Much to reflect upon. Bless you and stay well. Hope to enjoy future conversations with you all. With love, Sandy, and from Esther, thanks for this, and thanks to Tau and Pia, Bruce and Don for your thoughts, and always thanks, Pete. Well, thank you for coming. So um, I'm going to suggest you listen to the six minutes of, of Otis, only because it's Otis, but also uh, he left us too young. And I think this song builds and builds and then finally just blows up. And this thing is a transformation of a tune that was written by some guy who was running the shop in New York City and it landed here with Otis in the 60s. And here we go. So thank you. Happy holidays as best you can in this crazy time. And we will connect again in the future. But over to you, uh, Jordan, to play, play us out with Otis Redding. Turn that up a little bit, Jordan.
1: Wearing that same old shaggy dress, yeah, yeah. yeah. But when she gets weary, try your little tenderness.